give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken. And great are you, Lord. Forgiveness is an unbelievably difficult thing. If you've ever had to forgive somebody for a wrong that they've done to you, you know how true that statement is. Forgiveness can be breathtaking. And in fact, when we see forgiveness in this world, we're blown away by it. We don't know how to act. We don't know how to respond. Gary Ridgway was in the courtroom as he was listening to every person speak venom into his life. With good reason, by the way. Gary deserved that venom. He was a serial killer and had murdered anywhere from 40 to 90 people. As you can imagine, the family members were in that courtroom in that final hearing trying to persuade the judge to give him the most severe penalty that you could imagine. They said things like, I hope he dies the cruelest, slowest, painful death. You got to understand that when a serial killer takes a loved one, that's the kind of natural response that flows out of a person. Person after person said things like that, that he deserves to be behind bars, never to see the light of day, that they hope horrible things happen to him in jail. Until Robert Rule came up. Robert came up having had his daughter, having his daughter been murdered by Richard, looked at Richard Lowry in the face and said, and honestly, if you remember the story, you'll never forget what he said. He turns to Richard Lowry, the murderer of his daughter, and says, there's a lot of people in this courtroom that wish you harm and want you dead. There's a lot of hate for you. I want you to know that I'm going to extend forgiveness to you. That I forgive you. He even said, you know, you make it real hard to obey Christ. But I extend forgiveness to you. And this sociopath, this murderer, this person who had never shown any remorse at all, breaks down and weeps in the courtroom. Because forgiveness is powerful. But you know, Robert 
was only extending the forgiveness that he himself had received from Christ. It's hard to give what you don't have. And so if it's tough for you to forgive people, I understand. Because it's hard to give what you don't have. On Easter Sunday, we look back to the forgiveness that God offers us. But the forgiveness that God extends to us are only to guilty people. In other words, it's an offense to you to be offered forgiveness that you don't feel you need. For instance, if I came up to you and said, okay, man, I've been praying about this for a long time. It's, it's really been weighing heavy on my heart. But I want you to know, I forgive you for stealing my car. You would go, are you out of your mind? I never stole your car. What are you talking about? Because forgiveness is an offense if you don't think you need the forgiveness. Well, Christ extended forgiveness while he was being crucified. Now, I got to tell you, what Robert Rule did in forgiving Richard Lowry for the murder of his daughter, Linda, what he did was breathtaking. But you can rest assured that it took him months to get to that point, or however long the court case was. Jesus, while he still had the spikes sticking out of his hands, while the flesh was ripped off his back, extended forgiveness. And he extended forgiveness not just to the people who had done this thing, but to the people who have done this thing. You see, because there was more than just the people who were crucifying Jesus. Jesus wasn't, nails did not hold Jesus on the cross. I hope you understand this. Love did. Love for you. But you got to see yourself as a guilty party if you're to receive that love. That's the offense of Christianity. Christianity offers forgiveness to a group of people in many ways who don't see their need to be forgiven. We think we're pretty good. We think we're really kind. And usually we think that way because we're comparing ourselves to people like Richard Lowry. We say things like, I never murdered anybody, as if that were the barometer of morality. But the fact is, is that we have all sorts of sins here. Sin is an old-fashioned word to say that you've put something ahead of God. What have you put ahead of God? Have you put your nationality ahead of God? That's a sin. Have you put your sexuality ahead of God? That's a sin. Have you put your religion ahead of God? That's a sin, too. See, God offers forgiveness to sinners. So, we see in this moment, this snapshot, you know the story. Jesus has been dragged into a kangaroo court, has been lied about, and has been sentenced to death. He's been sentenced to death, beaten, mocked, spit at, pummeled, had the skin off of his back ripped off with 39 lashes, is hanging on the cross. Now, 
I know that there is a lot of speculation, especially if you come from uh, uh, a different background where you go, was, was, did G- was Jesus uh, crucified on a stick, like a, a stick going up and down, torture stick? Or was it on an X, because that's we've seen uh, in history, crucifixions on an X? Or was it the traditional uh, T? And, and listen, that hardly has any meaning at all to the truth of Christianity. But just for those of you who are like thoughtful like that and think about things like that, the reason that in this church we say it's, it's the crucifixion cross, the traditional one, is because of the scriptures. Now, here's what the scriptures say. The scriptures say there was a nail, singular, in Jesus' feet. But there were nails plural, in Jesus' hands. So it couldn't have been the axe, because then it would have said nails sticking from his feet and nails sticking from his hand. And it couldn't have been the stick, because it would have said nail sticking from his feet and nail sticking from his hands. So if that's one thing that trips you up, I want you to know that you don't need to be tripped up. Just go back to the scriptures and be careful as you read the scriptures. But even if you don't buy what I just told you, which is clearly in the scriptures, what matters is the reason behind his crucifixion. And is the reason is because you and I are so in desperate need of forgiveness that there was no other way to forgive us. So, we see Jesus beaten on the cross, hanging there. And here's what the scriptures say. Now, you're going to sit there. I'm going to read this over you. Usually, traditionally, what we do is we have everyone stand and we read the scriptures together. Today, I'm just going to, I want the scriptures to wash over you. So just sit there as I read these from Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 43. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, 
Jesus is on the cross. First thing that these people hear him say in a loud voice, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, I want you to know that there are two responses to that kind of prayer. This is God on a cross, praying to the Father in heaven for you. And there are several responses. One is rejection, the other is reception. And we see those two types of people in this text. Maybe you'll see yourself in one of them. But there are only two of us in this room. Those who reject that kind of forgiveness and those who receive that kind of forgiveness. Let's look at the text. In verse 35, after, in verse 34, after Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, the next, very next words we read is, and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Amazing. Here is the Son of God dying for the sins of the world. And they are gambling for his clothes. It is a lesson in missing the point. And perhaps you find yourself here. Maybe you've been your entire life interested in pursuing things that you think will make you happy and they don't really satisfy. Interested in acquiring things that you think will bring you satisfaction, but in the end, they don't. These men, they had taken up their time by pursuing hey, let's see if we can get this close. They were wrong, and they missed the point. The people stood watching. There was another group of people that they stood watching this Jesus die on the cross. They heard his prayer, and all they could do was watch. Perhaps you fall into the spectator category. Your friends go to church and pursue Christ. Perhaps your family members go and pursue Christ. And let me just thank you. By the way, we don't go to church. We say that all the time here. We don't come to church. But I do thank you for bringing the church into this room. Because we collectively, as we pursue Christ, are the church. Well, Christ, they look at Christ, they see him, and they just gawk. They watch. But they're never affected. We hear nothing else about them. They just watch. Perhaps you've been watching, maybe too long. When I say watching, you could have been coming to a church service. You could have been listening to sermons for months, if not years. But Christ really isn't the Lord of your life. Christ isn't really the shot caller of your future. Christ isn't the boss of your existence. Really, you are. You're just a spectator when it comes to watching Christ. Perhaps that's you. The soldiers also, verse 36, actually, let's finish reading verse 35. 
The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him, which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and save us. Now, we see here two other groups of people. One who are not agnostic, meaning not knowing, or even atheist, meaning no God. But they're anti-theists. They're antagonistic towards Christ. You hear them cursing him. The only reason that they said, if you're the, if you're the king of the Jews, is, and the text clarifies this, is because there was a sign there. They were ridiculing him. They're making fun of Jesus while he sits there, while he hangs there. One of the criminals even goes so far as sneering contempt at him. Actually, in Matthew, what it says is that both criminals did. Did you know that? Everybody thinks that, oh, one criminal was really soft and tenderhearted and the, you know, towards Jesus and the other. No, they both hurled insults at him. These anti-theists mock and make fun of Christ he has no room in their lives. But and then one criminal, and this is interesting, who hung there, hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and save us. Let me just say something about this. Many of us find ourselves there. Have you ever done this? Jesus, if you're really God, then and then you ask him for whatever you think you're really desperate for? Have you ever done this before? Am I the only one? Hey, God, if you get me out of this one, I swear, I will go to church every Sunday. As a matter of fact, I'll go on Saturday. I don't even care if they're having a service. I'll just go and, and you know, like, you know. And, or, or, God, if you get me out of this one, I will give money to the church. matter of fact, God, if you let me hit the lottery, I will hit the church off. <laughs> And, and boy, it'll be on. And it's like, I get it, right? Because here's what happens. Here's what happens. We find ourselves in difficult circumstances and we start negotiating with God. But here's the problem with that. If you've ever done that, sometimes, have you ever seen God like, wow, God really shows up. It's like, wow. But you don't keep your promises. Have you ever noticed that? Right? Yeah. You know, like, oh man, I'll be good forever. You know, <laughs> and then forever lasts like 15 minutes, right? Yeah, I get it. Right? But here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you've ever done that and God didn't behave the way you wanted him to, you run from God. You know why? Here's, now, you don't say this out loud, but here's the underlying thing. God, I have a plan for my life. I have a plan for my family. I have a plan for my loved ones. And if you don't agree with my plan, then forget you. What you're really doing is you're telling God, God, I want you to be all-powerful. I just don't want you to be smarter than me. God, I want you to be all-powerful, but I don't want you to tell me 
something other than what I want. That's what people who pray that kind of prayer, that's what people do. They want a God that's all-powerful, they just don't want a God that's all-knowing. It's an arrogant stance. Like the thief on the cross, we say, hey, if you really are who you say you are, give me what I want. And God says, no, don't you understand? If I gave you that, it would kill you. Or if I gave you that, it would harm you. And we go, no, there can't be a God. Why? Because I can't think of a reason why he wouldn't give me what I want. I, don't, I can't think of a reason why he won't actually give me what I want. As if God wasn't smarter than you. As if God didn't have all of eternity laid out before his eyes. You go, God, why was I born this way? And God says, because I want you to struggle in humility, because if I let you get over this one particular thing, you'd be as arrogant and as prideful as anyone else. And you go, I don't like that. I want you to give me what I want. And I get it. Me too. Me too. But man, even in, man, even in science fiction, there's uh, storylines about how there are things that happen that we don't understand that are actually good, that we wouldn't want for ourselves. And I'm talking about like the deep things. I'm not talking about God, give me the girlfriend because, you know, she'll make me happy. I'm talking about God, here's my kid. Get him off this deathbed. And then you go, and the kid dies. And you go, so where was your God then? I get it. There's this... Uh, Wonderful illustration, right? It's in a, a Star Trek, an old Star Trek episode. Any Trekkies in the house? Yeah. What, what? Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, in this one episode, there's this woman who, they, they travel back in time, and there's this woman, and I can't remember all the details, okay? But it's, if you're a Trekkie, you might remember this. There's uh, this woman, and the woman is like this unbelievable woman who loves peace. Everybody loves her. She, she uh, you know, provides for the poor. She loves peace. She's uh, uh, just very giving of herself unto others. She's like the picture of generosity. And then one day, uh, what ha uh, one day, she steps in front of a car and she gets killed. And everybody can't understand why she did. This is a Star Trek episode. And uh, nobody can understand why she was killed. Well, they go back in time. Uh, and I can't remember who, which character fell in love with the woman. But um, who was it? Was it Kirk? No, it was, and I, was, I think it was like Bones this time, right? Because, yeah, Kirk got all the ladies. But when they die, he doesn't go for them, right? Um, that's how it works. But thank you for the help on the sermon, though. I appreciate it. Um, okay. So, so he, one of them falls in love with her, and they know she's going to die. You know what they do? They get her out of the way. He saves her life. And you know, she's such a powerful advocate for peace that um, she creates a lobby that's so strong that prevents the United States from going into World War II on time. World War II, um, then, then um, the Allies lose World War II because the United States didn't get there on time. Uh, or soon enough because of her efforts to try to keep peace. 
And then as the future goes on, it's all communist and horrible over a, you know, a utilitarian world over them. Everybody has lost. So you know what they have to do? They have to go back in time again and let her die. Okay, now why did I give you that silly story? Because I'm telling you, God is smarter than you. And even, and, and listen, I, I got five kids. Don't want none of them to die before me, right? Right? I have a beautiful wife. Don't want her to, like, I want my wife, I want to bury my wife, and then I want to die the next day, right? That's, that's, I don't want my wife to suffer. I want my wife to live a long time. So I'm not saying that I'm insensitive to this. What I am saying is that perhaps when you and I suffer, perhaps there's a reason that you don't know that is beyond your understanding. Perhaps there is something that you can, and you just have to, in humility, go, okay, you're not going to free yourself, and you're not going to free me either. And so I'll just hang on this cross and ask you for mercy. But that guy didn't do that, and there's a lot of you here because of the pain that you've gone through sufferings and injustices that have been done to you, you can't turn to Christ. I'm telling you, listen to me, God is bigger than you, and you'll miss the point if you're expecting God to be no smarter than you are. Then we move to verse 40, and we see another kind of person. Not a person, not these people who have rejected Christ for all these different reasons we see in verse 40, something else. But the other criminal rebuked him. Interestingly enough, this guy cursed at Christ. I totally identify with this guy because for most of my life, actually now I'm a little bit older, about half of my life, I cursed at God. I, had no, I wanted nothing to do with God. God was not convenient. I wanted nothing to do with him. So I totally get this guy. He was cursing at God, wanted nothing to do with him. And then, boy, I tell you, being crucified, being close to death, it, it makes you open-minded to Jesus, just so you know. I've been around, yesterday, I was sitting across from a gentleman that I deeply love, deeply love, and he's into philosophies that really focus on himself. And I was just, man, I just wanted, and I, I didn't just want to, I actually told him, I was like, listen, <laughs> so you know. You're going to be on your deathbed, and all of these philosophies are going to seem silly to you. That there is Christ, and that in the end, the, and I've, listen, I've, I've been in front of a lot of deathbeds, seen quite a few people take their last breath. Nobody talks about philosophy. You know what they talk about? They talk about family, and they talk about God. That's the only two, those are the only two subjects that actually matter when you're dying. This guy, when he was dying, realized, oh my, I need to get right with God. And so we read in verse 40, but the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for what we are getting, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, and this is awesome. It's such a tender moment. Everywhere in Luke, when, when disciples or people who are referring to Jesus, they'll call him teacher, they'll call him Lord. You know what this guy says? 
He goes, Jesus? It's tender because he doesn't know a whole lot about Jesus, but just enough to call him Jesus. You know why? Because he heard other people curse him. And he says, Jesus? Remember me when you come into your kingdom? See, those who would receive Christ, those who would receive Christ, there's a humility that God has to give you. And say, just remember me. Would you remember me? Would you not forget me? Am I too far gone? And some of you think you are. And believe me, I thought I was too. I say this to you all the time, but I'm the biggest sinner in the room. Have you struggled with sexual identity? I've struggled with sexual identity for decades. Have you struggled with uh, addictions of all sorts of kind? I have for years. Have you struggled with things that you wish you had never done but have done anyway? Do you have regret of the past? Do you have things that you should have done that you never wound up doing? I've done all of those things. I'm telling you this because, listen to me, you know how I am? I'm a, I'm a criminal telling other criminals about Jesus. I'm, 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 I'm the guy on the cross who cursed at Jesus and who's saying, um, maybe. And the reason that this criminal can have the audacity to say, remember me. It's because the Father is answering Jesus' prayer, even on the cross. Remember what he said? Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And at the end of life, the Father gives Jesus another gift. He says, hey, Jesus, one more before we go. Jesus, remember me. My prayer is that before this meeting is over, there'll be one more before we go. That there'll be one of you. And the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you now. And he's saying, and you're going, no, no, but you don't understand identity. You don't understand sin in the past. You don't understand all the stuff that I've done. And so listen, listen, you're just like this criminal. You're just like this criminal. You're just like me. You're just like the person sitting next to you. You're just like me. And you can go, Jesus, remember me. Now, you would think, what's awesome about this is that you would think that Jesus I mean, if I was going to write this story, this is why I believe the Bible. It's like, I, 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 you know, if I was going to write this story, I'd make this criminal survive somehow and then, like, do some pen, penitence. You know what I mean? Like, you know, make up for the wrong that he's done. Then, you know. But that's not what happens. Jesus answered him, and he says, truly, I tell you. Now, what's interesting is that in the Greek, nobody knows if the comma is before this or after this. So we don't know if Jesus is saying, today, truly I tell you, or truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Or if Jesus is saying, truly I tell you, today you will be with me. See the difference? Today you will be with me in paradise. I'm not that smart to figure that, that one out right now, but what I am telling you is that heaven began right then, right there, 
for that man. That heaven began in that moment for that guy. That heaven, he didn't have to wait. To, and, and by the way, he was at death's door, so he wouldn't have to wait very, very long. But I'm telling you, he didn't even have to wait till then. And neither do you. Heaven can begin for you right now in Christ. You go, that can't happen for me. I don't know enough about Christ. I still have questions. Cool, me too. Join the club. Nobody here has all of their questions answered. Don't you, right? I saw my mother OD in front of me. I still wonder about that thing, but I can't let that hold me back from pursuing Christ. I still struggle with sin. Do you struggle? Anybody else here struggle with sin or am I the only one? Okay, so but, but that can't hold me back. I still don't have all the answers to all of the theological questions that I have. Anybody else here has struggled with theological questions that you don't know? Yeah, me too. Hey, anybody else here struggle with addictions that you wish you'd gotten over, but are you going to pursue Christ anyway? I don't care. Hey, listen, I don't care. I will pursue. You can have the opportunity to pursue Christ right now, and the reason that you do is because he's praying. Hey, listen. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So my prayer for you is that you would not be like those people who had rejected Christ, but that you would receive him. Now, I'm, all right, nothing up my sleeve, okay? So there, I'm not trying to trick anybody, okay? At the end of this, we're going to have a testimony. Well, in the Christian tradition, we have um, a sort of a mandate, if you will. And it's if you've received Christ, that you tell everybody. That you just tell everybody. It's like a big deal, right? You know, I like, you know, when you tell your Christian friend, perhaps the Christian friend that you're trying to shut up by being here is like, all right, if I go once, they won't, you know, they'll shut up about this Jesus thing, right? The, you know, the reason that you came. So the reason why they can't stop shutting up is two reasons. One is that when you received forgiveness this profoundly, when you see yourself as guilty this deeply, you can't help but tell everyone. But another reason is because Jesus says, hey, Tell the world about me. Tell the world, not, not so much what you think. Don't tell the world about a philosophy. Don't tell the world about, tell the world what I've done for you. And so we're going to have a baptism today. Now, the reason that we baptize people is simply as a reflection, a symbolic gesture to what Jesus has done. Now, this has such deep meaning. So when a person goes uh, to be baptized, like you'll see somebody today, in fact, in just a minute, you're going to see them. They're going to be baptized. What they're saying is that I died with Christ. I died with Christ. I've associated myself with him. And then they come up out of water and they say, and I'm going to rise with him. That when I die, it won't be the end of the story. That when I die, it won't be a period at the end of that sentence. It will be a comma. That they die and they rise with Christ. They're saying, I identify with Christ. They're also saying, just the way this water washes the outside of your body, Jesus, you can't see this in my heart, but Jesus has washed the inside of my body. You know why I can stand up here and tell you about how grimy I am? Because Jesus thinks I'm fantastic. Let me tell you what. And Jesus doesn't think I'm fantastic because I'm a snappy dresser. Je although, an argument can be made. Jesus thinks I'm fantastic, listen to me, because he 
paid the penalty for my sin. So all the time he sees me, he sees his perfect record on my behalf. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. 